and welcome to Running the Table, your source for answers and advice on all things role-playing games. In fact, welcome to the first ever episode of Running the Table. Running the Table is a tabletop role-playing game advice, questions, and discussion podcast driven by you, the listeners. Each episode, there will be different guests joining us to answer questions about tabletop role-playing games sourced from listeners. And so I'd like to thank all of you who have asked questions. And if you'd like to ask some of your own, you can email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can ask them directly to Running the Table on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Keith, and joining me today are two very special guests, Dan Gaston, who you might know from Twitter as at MadSideDM, or you might know him from his streaming endeavors, where he streams under variant roles. And Will Callaghan, who you might know on Twitter as Lemiel14N3, or Discord as well. Yep. Uh, he, and uh, I'd just like to thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I just would like to know if you guys would like to introduce yourselves at all to our listeners, just in case there's anything I missed. I don't know. Um... No, I think you pretty much covered it. I am Will Callaghan. I have been for quite some time. Um, I was I built a campaign setting, Broken Horizon, and I did lead production, and I was one of the actors on the Plane Shift podcast. Uh, yeah, no, that uh, I think pretty much covers me as well. Um, following me on Twitter at MadSideDM will probably get you pretty much what I'm about, which is D and and science, and occasionally blending the two together. And uh, most of my activity recently has been under our sort of community uh, streaming Twitch channel, uh, variant roles. Where at the moment, so at the time of recording in early November, we're midway about through streaming a four-group mega stream intertwined story adaptation of uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So that's currently streaming. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's currently streaming four days a week uh, on the channel. I am by no means not DMing every single group, which is great. Uh, so I've got some uh, <laughs> fa- fantastic other uh, other streamers in under that and a nest of players. So we've got 20 players and four DMs running through it. Oh, wow. Dang. Yeah, it's uh, it's going very well and quite interesting. <laughs> uh, so that I have a great question for that what has been the biggest challenge about that experience um so surprisingly it's gone much smoother uh than i expected slash feared um probably because everyone is very bought into the endeavor super excited uh all you know my fellow dms are incredibly great uh, with a lot of experience. I, I would hazard to say I'm the worst DM out of the four. Um, <laughs> and so so it's been going very smoothly. Um, and, uh, you know, the probably the biggest challenge initially getting it set up was really just uh, scheduling everything. Um, you know, we made good use of tools, but you've got a lot of volunteers. You can't necessarily involve everyone who asks. Uh, trying to put together yeah. groups that you think are going to hopefully mesh really well when a lot of the players you don't actually know and have never played with before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you yeah. Know, it, yeah, and then combining that with scheduling. So picking what days of the week, what times we were going to stream on, 
you know, trying to keep in mind not just everyone's own personal schedules, but, um, uh, you know, in the streaming world, what else you're up against, you know, what other things are going to be potentially streaming in your time slot, right? So, oh, yeah, ca- capturing those eyeballs. Yeah, mm. um, actually, just, just last week, I made a very, very amateur foray into streaming um, for one of the other projects I'm on, Experiencing Gold. Uh, we, we streamed a game of Dread. Okay, cool. I ran. Yeah, it was a lot more, even just getting that set up and ready, it was a lot more than I initially thought it would be. Yeah, and you, you have compounded lots of uh, tech issues. L- luckily, we had sort of been streaming, you know, bi-weekly or so a show since, um, I believe, about February. Yeah, end of February uh, this year. So we've built up a little bit of experience, but going to four shows a week, you learn a lot really quickly. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. This this is actually really interesting. Um, so, Dan, Will, how did you guys get started in this kind of a field of, of based around like tabletop role-playing games and things like that? Uh, on my end, honestly, I, I kind of decided i wanted to do it and then dragged my friends along that yeah (laughs) yeah that makes sense um yeah basically the same here yeah all right that that does make sense that's kind of what happened to me as well uh though i was one of the friends that was dragged along (laughs) um but more generally how did you guys get started or get interested in tabletop role-playing games or just role-playing games in general um i always tabletop games and and D and etc have always been kind of in the periphery of my cultural influences i played a lot of video games i read a lot of books um my bookshelf is full of science fiction and fantasy but <laughs> i i didn't really start playing until college uh when a friend got me in a 3.5 game and um we had one session and then i started running fifth edition um yeah we we didn't really play all that often we had one session um and i had always wanted to do it again but 3.5 just seemed really obtuse especially since i i wasn't as deeply as experienced with it as some of my friends when fifth edition came out i decided knew this is really exciting i couldn't find anyone to you know run it so i ended up learning as much as i could and dming some games um and a friend of mine also dm'd we had some games at his uh in the apartment above his garage um and then i started running some games myself uh i ended up like i said in the intro writing a uh campaign setting source book just um on sort of a whim and then i had a similar impulse to start doing a podcast uh and dan uh yeah so i guess my story is sort would be sort of familiar to a lot of people and similar in in some ways um you know right from the time i was a pretty young kid i was definitely a fantasy and science fiction buff you know, so was my grandfather. So I was one of those kids who was fortunate enough to have this massive access to things written in the 
you know, 50s and 60s right through the, the 90s to borrow from uh, even more extensively than a library. Um, and I was, so it was always sort of on the periphery, but I wasn't that aware of Dungeons and Dragons itself and had never played until, you know, I came from a very small town. Um, a new family moved in at one point when I was in grade eight or so, and they played. Uh, there were six brothers, um, and uh, one of them was my age, and there was a couple that were older. And uh, and so the, the guy who moved into my class was like, hey, this is a cool game. We should all play. And uh, so we, you know, basically a friend's basement playing uh, advanced so AD&D 2nd Edition uh, Dragonlance, and we played that, okay. yeah, we played that for years along with Dark Sun, uh, and played that rate all the way through high school, uh, 3 and 3.5 kind of came out, and I dipped my toes into DMing around that time, I think I ran a few things in 2nd Edition, and of course they were terrible, right, you know, 15 year old me running Return to the Tomb of Horrors, and just murdering everybody. Um, and <laughs> yeah, uh, and then I didn't play as much when I was in university. Um, I played a little bit off and on with some friends and we actually mostly played D20 Star Wars and then I kind of fell away from the hobby. Um, I went to do my PhD and I didn't have, you know, people around me that played and I kind of had that itch, but, uh, you know, basically for at least a decade, I wasn't playing. Uh, I would occasionally pick things up and read them, uh, and I kind of always wanted to play again. And then, like a lot of people who have gotten back into the hobby or gotten into the hobby for the first time, I have to credit another friend of mine who played with me back in the old days and Critical Role. Uh, he kind of mm. started talking to me about the show, and he's like, you got to watch it. Is, is Matt Mercer one of your friends from the old days? No, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um uh totally other side of the country uh and of course i'm i'm in canada to boot so uh no mm. a, a friend of mine uh, kept telling me i needed to watch this show and it made him want to play again so bad and i was like really like i can't spend four hours a week watching people play dungeons and dragons and lo and behold uh you know i i dove in hardcore and was like this is great uh and started running a campaign again uh, so I started running a campaign for him and some other people kind of over the internet and, you know, that was, I guess a little over two years ago now and progressed to the point where we started streaming ourselves. Awesome. I, I think that, uh, those of us in the hobby of tabletop role-playing games can actually, can really not express enough thanks to things like critical role. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm for just bringing more of a light onto it. Yeah. yeah and, we're, we're definitely in a modern Renaissance for D and D. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the internet makes it so much easier to connect with players mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I, I basically exclusively play over the internet now. So after that first campaign, uh, I kind of wrapped it up and uh, I'm sure some of the questions later on will, will dovetail into everything I think that I did wrong in retrospect. I mean, not that it wasn't a good, <laughs> Not that it wasn't a good campaign, but uh, things that definitely led me to do differently. Uh, and at a certain point, I started meeting a lot of people that, you know, we got into issues with adult life schedules and, and things like that. 
And I switched to pretty much playing exclusively over the internet, running a large West Marches campaign, so that I have just a big pool of players, and, um, you know, we play when we can, pretty much. That's what it comes down to, especially now. You play when you can. Uh, there's a game that has been going on uh, for me, personally, that has been... We've had three sessions, I believe, and it's been going on for, like, three months, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because you play when you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Since this is the very first episode, uh, I feel like I can indulge myself and also share what got me into uh, tabletop gaming. <clears throat> Mostly because it's a pretty fun story. <laughs> I, my first, <laughs> my first uh, interaction with anything tabletop role-playing games was actually... Uh, a friend of mine in high school invited me over, and his his father was a friend or acquaintance of Gary Gygax. Wow. Oh, wow. Growing up not too far away from Lake Geneva, it's not that uncommon that people knew him mm-hmm. in some regards, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they were interested in that kind of aspect. Um, and... In his basement, he had a workshop dedicated to models, and he had a table with custom-built scenery models and character figures on it. And I'm like, this is really cool, but this is far too complicated, and completely ignored it. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't until like a year later that I got invited to play with some other friends. And they invited me to play, and I'm like, I'm stressing about how complicated it's going to be, how I'm going to have to, like, spend money if I get really into it, but it still sounds so much fun, and so I, of course, go over there, and they take me down into the basement, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, and there's going to be a workshop, and that's just how this hobby goes, and get down there, and now it's just poker table, some folding chairs, and a a big piece of paper with hand-drawn squares on it. And that's it. They're using, you know, like bottle caps to mark monsters and characters, anything like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. This could actually be really easy. <laughs> yeah. And I can, I can totally pick this up. And then they hand me a 3.5e handbook. Oh, God. So, <laughs> yeah. Still, I loved it. Got really into it. Um, unfortunately, after, uh, a couple of those friends graduated. I was the youngest in the group. And um, after they graduated, there was nobody to play with. So I didn't get back into it until like my second year of university. Hmm. But uh, yeah, once I got back into it, I never stopped. <laughs> yeah, That's the thing. It, it sinks its hooks in. <laughs> um, and... On kind of on that topic, um, this is a, a a good question for both of you. Um, what is your favorite non-combat encounter that you've ever run or been a part of? And we can start with Dan on this one. Sure. Um, I. It's a little bit of a tough question not to, you know, not to sound like I'm tooting my own horn or anything, but 
in my uh, game, <laughs> if you've run one, that's great. Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, mostly just because I play so rarely now that you know most of my experience is as a DM, uh, and I tend to run a lot of non-combat. My you know, there's always you know a few combat encounters here and there, but sometimes we go whole sessions with no uh, no combat encounters, and I'm pretty heavy on the exploration part of the three pillars. Um, so actually in a, in a quite recent game that's leading to a bit of a climax in my current West Marches campaign, uh, one of the players essentially, or one of the characters got sucked into a extra dimensional prison, if you will, of some kind, uh, <laughs> with, with me having no real uh, knowledge or expectation of what might happen or exactly how they could get out. Um, but this place was full of powerful entities and to make a potentially long story short, they ended up encountering one of these entities, uh, negotiating with it and then using very creatively using their banishment spell to return it to the material world. Uh, cause they, that the character wasn't powerful enough to do something like plane shift or or get themselves out, but banishment where they're in this extra dimensional <laughs> space would work on this creature. Uh, and, you know, it turned out to be a absurdly ancient dragon, which then proceeded to free her and become a ready, if, you know, potentially morally dubious ally. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, for me, great encounters are always <coughs> highlighted by the unexpected. Uh, and just rolling with it. So I try really to not to predetermine what people have to do for given outcomes and just kind of roll with what they give me and what seems interesting in the moment. Awesome. All right. That that's great. Um and well you don't get to get off light on this because everybody has a favorite <laughs> encounter. So what's I, yours? I have two. One I played and one I ran. Okay. Um, the one I played was in, it was in one of my first sessions, but it, it stood as one of the, one of the moments that really stuck out. Um, we had just, I, my friend had just started running a fifth edition game. I was playing a sorcerer because I tend to play sorcerers and I had launched a fireball, a firebolt at an opponent in deep woods and critically failed. What my friend decided to do was have the firebolt fly wild, hit some tinder, and start a forest fire. (laughs) So we all had to run to escape the burning forest. um, And when we got out, we encountered a merchant caravan who said, oh my god, did you guys come from the cursed forest? And I said, well, it is a little less cursed now. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had burned it down. <laughs> You're not wrong. It is a little less cursed. The other one needs a little bit of preamble. Um, I I was running a long time campaign um, in the world I built. And one of the features of that world is it had an advanced precursor society that collapsed. Um, essentially, they went from... Star Wars Mass Effect level of technology to uh, Age of Sail. 
over okay. the course of 2000 years. So it all that old tech was lost, but the players encountered an outsider who has been stealing people and essentially putting their bodies and their memories on display in his collection. They had to pass a test in order to leave with their everything intact. <laughs> and the test I decided was that they were going to inhabit the bodies of some of the people he had taken. And I had spent the week before rolling up essentially 15th level characters, all of whom were now in that Star Wars Mass Effect level of technology setting. So they all woke up on a spaceship. We were playing Roll20. And I said, okay, I've deactivated all of your character sheets. Here are your new character sheets. These are your characters now. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a, a, an elven Jedi, a werewolf, uh, a werewolf Mandalorian, ba- Mandalorian style bounty hunter. And a, oh, it was, it was crazy. And a uh, human Han Solo style smuggler. <laughs> and they that that I think is going to stand out as one of their more interesting games for a while. I hope so at least. <laughs> That's awesome. Some creative temporary leveling up. Yeah, and it's and they especially cuz like you never get to play high level characters unless your game has gone on for like 2 years. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's not as usually an op. It's not usually an option. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's true. Um, that's interesting. I I haven't really thought about that, but there needs there's a, a definite gap there for a lot of players where uh, sometimes you just want to be super powerful. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean it's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. I insist. But it's 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 part of the way the game's designed. You start as an inexperienced player at level one, where you don't have your full suite of abilities, and you as you level up, you get better and better as you're supposed to be more familiar with the game. Yeah, that's why I I've I've played campaigns where most of the players were experienced and we all just skipped levels one to one and two and just started at level three or five. Yeah. 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 I've, I've done that a fair amount too. Uh, one thing I'm a fan of to get some of that high level play because high level play is kind of a double edged sword, right? It's uh yeah, it, it's fun, but it's also so world breaking in terms of um, mm-hmm. in terms of power scope that it can be, challenge to maintain the kind of tone you want in some of your games um if your if your players can go up oh, yeah a dragon yeah yeah when are you gonna throw a real challenge at us yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh so uh but i do i do like mixing in uh similarly to you know what you did uh or you know high level one shots or short diversion arcs that tie into the main story where they get to play some mm-hmm. like real big, you know, maybe legendary heroes or something, uh, and get a taste for it, but it's a little bit constrained because you know you you kind of get an end cap on it. I wonder if it would be interesting to go the reverse. Uh, you've got a game that's been going on for a very long time, and you've got players that are 
all level 15, 16, somewhere around there or something. And suddenly they they have to play as these brand new baby-faced adventurers that they're mentoring or something. <laughs> the, the, I, the, I, I could see... I can see that being a problem because if you've leveled your character up to level 15, you are the most attached to them you could possibly be. Definitely. So it it would either like the only way I could see that working unless I'm bringing new people in and essentially starting the campaign over would be, okay, you guys are retired. You're playing as your <laughs> protégés. <laughs> <laughs> My instant thought was, uh, you know, because even the experienced 15th level adventure, uh, adventuring party, you know, inadvertently or, you know, <coughs> nearly on purpose, seem to manage to leave a trail of destruction in their wake. Uh, so a nice little diversion. Murder hobos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, in, in the process of saving X, they, you know, drop something on a small village and destroy it yeah. or whatever. Some, yeah. some like you some do. Some groups like go full murder hobo. Other groups go full collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. And so in the collateral damage uh, situation, a uh, fun little potential diversion is uh, the level one heroes uh, that they shift into are like the townsfolk who get forced into adventure because their home gets destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> And your heroes are busy cleaning up the mess they made. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or trapped in purgatory and these new characters have to let them out. Or... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So all, all of these kind of encounters are really fun and very interesting. But for somebody who is new, a lot of this can be a bit intimidating. Kind of mm -hmm. like how I was originally pretty intimidated by just the plain models and then later on the 3.5e rule books um when i was getting started uh getting started even now can still be intimidating for new players but uh that's kind of what i'd like to talk about today is for a new dungeon master or game master depending on the game obviously um what are some of the things that can make it easier and what are some of the things that we can get into and uh, what would they need? Um, so I have I have a couple discussion questions prepared for this. Uh, and let's just get this out of the way. Uh, one of the questions that was asked was, what materials should I have in front of me as a first-time GM or DM? Mm. And... Obviously, would, you need the rule yeah. books. Yeah. Uh, I would say the only thing you absolutely need is a set of dice in the player's handbook. Yeah. Everything else is gravy, uh, especially with 5th edition. Mm -hmm. The monster manual is extremely helpful. The dungeon master's guide is extremely helpful. But 9 times out of 10, the information you're going to be looking up is in the player's handbook because that's who's going to be asking you the most questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely agree, especially uh, for a very first session. Mm -hmm. I, I would even and, actually heartily uh, recommend, depending on, you know, because 
if you're really sure in terms of the investment that you're going to make, then it can get a little redundant. But otherwise, you know, picking up just a copy of the basic set, you've got the like the the simplified SRD version of the rules. Uh, I think the basic set even comes with dice uh, and Lost Minds of Fandalver so. as the adventure, right? Uh, and that is an excellent intro adventure. It's excellent for fifth edition. Uh, it's pretty well written in terms of you know how how the story is structured. It's pretty easy to follow. Uh, as a you know, I think as a new dungeon master, it doesn't make a lot of assumptions, uh, and you know that's pretty cheap, right? A way to get in, and it's got pre-built characters too. So that mm-hmm. that's you know, I I'd, I'd say this, and this isn't something necessary, but it's something I'd recommend new DMs do. Make some handouts, just. Try and try and think of what you'll you'll do. And this might be a second session thing, but make some handouts, make some props, because when you do that, you have to double check the rules and make yourself more familiar with them. So you don't need to look them up quite as often and take as much time. And it helps kind of engage your players a bit more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially if you're a new DM playing with new players. Mm-hmm. then having something physical or visual for them to interact with helps pull them in. It, it it takes a lot for a lot of people to get into that theater of the mind kind of mindset when they're playing. Um, and having some props definitely helps engage. Um, even, yeah. even as simple as a map. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the... And speaking to someone who I actually rarely uh, engage in props, mostly because I just, you know, like I said, most of my games are totally online now. Um, but you, you can mm-hmm. you can do, you know, digital props, right? Um, you can uh, take a picture uh, of the of the map, right? For instance, from an adventure to give out as a, a player a copy. Um, I've typically always done that in my intro campaigns where it's, you know, for instance, a homebrew world. I'll usually try and prepare a you know one to two page kind of primer for players. Um, for new DMs, you know, I wouldn't necessarily worry about that so much because you don't, you, I don't think you you necessarily know yet the kind of things you want to put in. Um, but like you said, a map mm-hmm. is a good place to start, and even if it's just like this is the starting valley, right? And this is the map. Here's your yeah. town. Here's the haunted woods, <clears throat> right? The cursed forest. You know, ye old graveyard, um, yeah, those kinds of things, and even just having a digital representation that all players have to kind of help um, cement everybody's perspective is uh, is incre- can be incredibly useful. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, and on on the same kind of topic of you were talking about the like a write up that you had, uh, if you if you're doing your own setting or a setting that is not in a prepared uh, adventure, mm-hmm. then definitely have a little bit of prose. Uh, it doesn't even have to be like you can go full story, like give them a a, a tale being t- spun by a bard in a tavern, or you can just go full. This happened in the year this, then this happened, mm-hmm. then yeah. this happened. Yeah, just to get them 
something engaging with the world. Um, but if you've got a prepared story, a prepared adventure that you're using, uh, grabbing the first couple paragraphs even from that that uh, adventure yeah, can really and, help. And most published products, you know, if we if we look at say just Wizards of the Coast, you know, published hardback adventures, for instance, as a new as a new dungeon master, they usually have in the front a couple of pages that is. Um, Sometimes there are things that are, are very GM-facing, right? The overview of the story. But there's a lot of good player-facing mm -hmm. potential material there as well. And, you yeah. know, giving a little bit of the background to players on what to expect, it can be really useful. And I know that when we were setting up our Dragon Heist stuff, A, we were, we were prepping before we actually had access to the books, right? Um, and so we were going mm -hmm. off of a little bit of the marketing material and spoiler alert, well, not really any spoilers, but, um, the actual sort of progression through Dragon Heist is a little bit different than it, it kind of was being portrayed early on in their marketing. Uh, like you don't, yeah. you don't enter the adventure with a character who's going to go on like a heist to steal gold. You sort of stumble yeah. into a heist. You stumble into a plot uh that is quite a lot bigger than you um and and get you know drawn into spoilers the by the way spoilers <laughs> spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> um and and so you know we had some issues especially when we first got the books of how how to get our our players in terms of the characters they were going to create so that they weren't too focused on the idea of being characters who would like go rob a bank, right? Um, and so having a, a sort of a small primer on like this is what you know, this is general knowledge, this is the situation in Waterdeep at the time, um, and you just need to make someone who's willing to go on adventure, right? Uh, can be really useful in terms of people making characters that are going to fit well with an adventure. Yeah. And I, I feel like that tends to be the case in most um, in most of the like Wizards of the Coast prepared adventures, uh, where it's not a you must be this specific type of adventure, but you must just be interested in doing something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When the DM puts down the the call to adventure, uh, you know probably have the character that's willing to go along with it not the one that wants to stay mm -hmm. home and run the inn yeah <laughs> despite that being one of my absolute favorite pete holmes sketches is can be very frustrating as a dm absolutely especially when you're running a module yeah. that said if you have a character who is just just concerned about staying home and running the inn well you have your very first incident an yeah. inn burns down <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, or, or, I mean, if you're not, if you're not running a module, um, and th this is where it kind of gets into my, the other thing I want to say that a DM should absolutely have, but it's not something they should have at the table. They should have a library, like having a diverse range of books, things you've read, things you've done. Mm. You can take all of that and turn it into a good game. If you, if one, if your characters are like, wow, I really want to run this campaign, but hey, I also want to run a tavern. You can have them, you can come up to them and go like, hey, your supplies are, are being hit. 
Um, the some of your patrons are being kind of rowdy, and uh, it turns out that they're affiliated with the local thieves guild, and the guard's not going to do anything about it. So it looks like you, with your adventuring experience, needs to take on the local thieves guild to protect your bar. There's a lot you can do with that kind of an as in uh, aesthetic and experience, um, especially if you're running a non-pre-generated adventure, um, mm. which is one of the things that I would suggest every uh, every DM kind of have in their back pocket. Uh, it's yeah. it's not necessarily a material, but just have an idea of improvisation and adapting a story yeah and like every piece of um, media you have ever consumed is a resource right comic books yeah. tv shows movies songs even like you know everything you've encountered plus you know real life right are all great seeds for you know starting an adventure and you know if you read enough adventures you start to see a lot of uh you see a lot of those inspirations and where people draw that from. Yeah, and never never feel bad about pulling in inspiration from someplace. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the if the best creative steal liberally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's totally fine. Never feel bad about it. There is not a creative thought that you can have right now. A truly yeah. original thought, I mean. Everything's inspired by something, whether you know it or not. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. roll with it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes uh, it is worth shamelessly emulating down to, you know, I slip in pop culture references or, you know, into my games. Uh, I will emulate oh, story beats, uh, you know, catchphrases. Um, <clears throat> I... Yeah, I like the. Have you ever seen Finding Forrester? Uh, I'm, it's a. It, Finding it's a Forrester. It's a Sean Connery movie. He plays a retired uh, novelist who's celebrated as one of the greatest writers in history, and he's now living in this Brooklyn apartment. I think it was Brooklyn. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. He's now living in this this trash apartment, and he's just making livings off of royalties, but he's kind of a recluse and this kid winds up running into him and he's this he has this writing potential and Forrester recognizes it so he gives him a writing exercise where he's like all right here are my old books I want you to take the first paragraph and just write that exactly and then ignore all of it and keep going from there see what you write after that and that's a great kind of approach for that sort of creative problem solving. Take something that someone else has done, take the barest bones of it and see what you can build from there. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely a great like creative writing exercise and creative writing. While it, it is a very English majory kind of thing to talk about. It is a <laughs> core aspect of playing this game. Yeah. Um, and speaking of playing this game, uh, we have another question here that is a bit of a divergence, but similar. Uh, one of the materials that you will likely need is players. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And so the question is, how many players will I need? Uh, is two players plus myself enough for Dungeons & Dragons? Can I even play with just one player? Uh, yes, and yes. Yeah, That's, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you, there's, you absolutely there's not, can. Yeah. There's I, not really a right answer for that, because it, it's... I, I generally know that I can't handle well more than about somewhere between four and six players and any more than that and i just it just gets unwieldy for me but yeah. and and i like having multiple players so they can kind of play off each other but i have a friend who started playing D D in a campaign i was running and is now dming her own campaign with just one friend and then she plays all the npcs yeah and and i i would say that the only thing to keep in mind is just scale it you know if if three goblins is a good uh is is difficult for four players in one campaign then maybe not for one player in the other mm -hmm. unless that's the kind of challenge you think that player yeah. wants like it, but even then you you can have them have npc companions and allies like yeah you have a little bit more leeway for scaling when it's just one player because then you can kind of control who they adventure with. Yeah, they could be they could be the protege of some super powerful wizard who decides to step in when he feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I I think for for me, I've always found sort of my optimal number is probably somewhere between 3 and 5. Uh, players, I've yeah, I've done six. I've yeah. done eight. Um, you know, it uh, like you said, it gets unwieldy at a certain point, and so so for me, three to five has been sort of optimal. Um, but you can certainly there's all kinds of games. You know, I've heard stories of games with like twenty people around the table. Um, that's a challenge all on its own. Uh, but so is you know having one or two players is also a challenge. We, Not actually, we yeah. actually have games like that. I work with Drinks and Dragons here in Philadelphia, and mm -hmm. it's exactly what it sounds like, but we, we end up getting some pretty big tables. I, I've seen 10 or 15 at one table. Yeah. Wow. With that many players, I feel like I'd need a gavel just to calm well, them down. Well, they're also all drinking, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've yeah I definitely need something yeah i've heard good uh, creative solutions to that that involve uh callers and like subgroups um wh mm -hmm. where oh. not everybody uh every player at the table relays stuff to the dm so they kind of come up with decisions <coughs> within sub networks and then the caller is the person who communicates with the dm just to you know keep information flow kind of more manageable that makes sense uh yeah and and that kind of goes to show that like even if you have one to 20 players, there are ways to work with what you have. It's just communicate with your players and figure out what works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there is a follow-up to this, uh, which is, uh, can you suggest any other games that might work better for fewer players? Um, which I, I, I still maintain that Dungeons & Dragons and basically any game works pretty well with any number of players 
Um, yeah, and I, I think that's. I mean, outside of solitaire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah, because th- one of the advantages of tabletop role playing is you really only need two people, a, a player and a DM. And even then, um, if you are. I, I don't even know how, but if you somehow manage to set up an adventure module in such a way, you could just play with the DM. So the, um, there, but then it would just be a weird, it'd just be a text the, adventure. So there is actually on the DM's guild a whole category now of uh, adventure modules designed for a single person to uh, to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, like solo, solo D&D. Um, mm. I haven't investigated them too heartily, but obviously you can imagine a bit more of a creative interpretation of like choose your own adventure stories right um yeah yeah and so and so those definitely exist um i think absolutely i agree that you can you can totally play pretty much any game with you know just say you and a player um there probably are some that work better uh there's there's a lot of storytelling type games out there that mm-hmm. uh, and and some of which are actually optimized for two people to play. Uh, I'm gonna blank on like all of their names at the moment. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, if, I, I mean, I. But if you're I into do have that, a, uh, I do have a, there are choices a storytelling yeah. game that I just recently played. I mentioned it earlier, Dread. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah very storytelling oriented, which means that it works with any number of players. Yeah. There are pre-made modules that work that are meant to be played with like six. Right. Um but you can play it with just one. And not to get too far into it, but Dread literally just has a block tower that you pull from to do it's Jenga. things. It's, although yeah. can we say Jenga? Are we gonna get uh <laughs> that is a proper that is a trademark. Uh, uh non sponsored. It's non-sponsored. <laughs> we, we can say Jenga, but Dread is not allowed to say Jenga. Yeah. Yeah, and a, a few games uh, I picked up like that. Um, Microscope and uh, Kingdom uh, by Ben Robbins are both uh, sort of storytelling games that work with any number of people uh, that are quite interesting. And in, in the same idea of other games, um, I know that we three are very much Dungeons & Dragons people. Um, and part of that is that Dungeons and Dragons is probably the most popular tabletop game out there. Oh, by least it's, it's the Ur text. It's the grandfather. <laughs> yeah, it is the game, uh, and everything else kind of exists on the periphery, I guess. Yeah, I think on. Roll... I don't want to say that, but <laughs> I think on Roll Twenty. I, I don't saw... want to say that. But... <laughs> I yeah. think I saw numbers from like Roll Twenty games, which you know that's going to be a selected market but still i think it's a fairly good representation uh the, i think yeah. fifth edition makes up like definitely well over 50 percent of games uh and it might have been as high yeah. as like 70 or 80 percent of games i i will say that roll 20 if you're not using the d20 system roll 20 doesn't work quite as well yeah um, so like i one system i really enjoy is the uh fantasy flight star wars and now the i guess it's the genesis system mm-hmm. yeah um that's mm. really more focused on narrative and improv than it does on mechanics but yeah. it does not use d20 it uses um its own i guess proprietary system that uses symbols instead of numbers yeah sort of, um, sort of like then, fate right where it's like success yeah you count successes yeah. on special dice yeah 
Yeah. yeah, like like more nuanced fate. Yeah. Um, but fate is also a pretty and, good example. And then there's plenty they're not of, as like, easy uh, to play on roll twenty. And then there's plenty of you know like d six oriented games as well mm-hmm. that kind of fall into that their do own. work on roll twenty. But yeah, they work on roll twenty, but they kind of fall into their own little group. Yeah. Um, yeah. My other two games, and that's easier to play from home. Like yes. everybody has a d six. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a D6, then you probably don't own Monopoly. And then what were you doing yeah. when you were a kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, two, um, the two other systems yep. that I play a lot of um, and actually do work fairly well on, on Roll20 are Dungeon World and Cypher System. Uh, so uh, Cypher System is you know a D20 type system, but it's quite different from 5th uh, from edition. And... Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Dungeon World is a is like a two d six type system. I guess I, I also play a lot of GURPS, which is a three d six system. Uh, I don't play yeah, it on Roll Twenty, yeah. but those are those are the other games that I play the most of. And uh, I actually really encourage people who you know play a lot of D anD D, and particularly DMs, to try running and or playing other systems because uh, you learn a lot and there's a lot that i've learned from other games that i liberally bring into my you know fifth edition games yeah i i speaking of gurps i i played a a game of that not too long ago that i absolutely loved that uh was inspired by a video game Rimworld. okay mm-hmm. uh where you you essentially crash on a planet that's in back that's got backwards technology and your first goal is to survive then your second goal is to rebuild your ship and then you go out into space yep <laughs> yeah in in groups i've played everything in one gaming group over the course of even just one year uh played everything from ninth century viking age england to you know futuristic transhuman space you know, with like sentient yeah. octopuses and you know <laughs> artificial intelligence and and everything else. Yeah, which uh, is something that D anD D doesn't translate as well to. It doesn't. It's very specifically designed around medieval war games. Yeah the the one time that we tried to do like a Dungeons and Dragons ish thing, we ended up just playing Starfinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, and and certainly I, I think I had this discussion on Twitter uh, just this week. Is I've got a lot of respect for the people that that hack D and D to do other genres, you know, like sci-fi, space mm-hmm. stuff. And I think you certainly can do it. The base system is flexible. Yeah. You can run anything you want, especially fifth edition. Yeah, especially fifth edition. Yeah, it's extremely flexible. There's almost it, always it other take games a that do lot it better. Of effort. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. takes a lot of effort. You know, you have to rip out whole and, things. Yeah, and like, different s- systems have different moods. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. If if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, that's kind of very specifically tuned to make you feel helpless. You're going to fail the majority of rolls you make in, if you're playing a Call of Cthulhu game because mm-hmm. as you play it, it gives you the attitude of you're in a bigger world that doesn't care about you. Whereas when you're playing D and D, you it's easier to feel like an epic fantasy hero because, especially towards later games, your roles can be off the charts and you'll succeed more often than you fail. But you'll either succeed spectacularly or fail spectacularly. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. The Star Wars RPG feels a lot more cinematic and um, and much more narratively focused because you're it's more focused on improv and setting scenes and telling stories than the mechanics uh, that work really well with D&D of fighting and exploration. Yeah, and yeah. and this leads into the the next question I've got for you guys. Um how do I pick a game that is suited to my playstyle and my players' playstyles and interests? Talk. Play a lot of games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think we've got the two. Those are both Yeah. Those are both good things. Communication and experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to I, and no, go ahead, Will. And I don't think there's anything we can build off of that. Like, you, you won't know what kind of attitude each individual game is going to give you until you've played it. And mm-hmm. it, you won't know what kind of atmosphere your players want until you've talked with them and asked them what what they're looking for in the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It, it essentially boils down to that. Talk with people and learn about more games. Um I'd say with on the talk aspect too that that has to be an ongoing dialogue um, because yeah. mm-hmm. you know even even if you ask all the right questions up front you get a lot of feedback uh, a lot of consensus around the tone and style that players uh, say they want uh, or you and know what that they you actually run. end up doing yeah some, sometimes people and you know this is a human thing uh, we we really do want a particular tone or style, but then when we start playing it, it might not be as fun as we expected. Uh, and we want to gravitate towards, you know, other things, uh, you know, good examples yeah. are, you know, a lot of players coming together that they want a real heavy intrigue and politics D and D game. And you, you know, you get into it mm-hmm. and you know, it's not as enjoyable. They just want to punch things. You just want yeah. to punch things sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, I think part of that too around fifth edition, while it does have the three pillars, you know, most of character class abilities are really focused on combat abilities other than like a few subclasses. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're just using the, if you're just using the same old skills, right. While you're rolling, you know, persuasion, deception, insight, you know, for all of your encounters after a while it gets, it can get a little stale. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I, sorry, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the big weaknesses with D&D as a system as a whole is it, it's you really see its war game roots that it was designed by Gary Gygax because he played a lot of tabletop war games. Yeah. So he built a combat system first and that ended up yeah. working really well for everything spreading out around it. But like we were saying earlier, D and D and especially fifth edition is very flexible. If you want to, you're it's, it's a lot easier to go from a romantic intrigue, a political drama, an espionage thriller, a swashbuckling adventure on the high seas, um, into a, uh, farming sim with D and D than it is to do with almost any other system. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, th- I think one of the great things about this, you know, modern renaissance, like we've said before, is, you know, there are so many really good actual plays out there 
of people doing mm. both sort of, you know, I guess what we could call standard fifth edition, but there's also great shining examples of like really role play heavy games, really um, social mm-hmm. oriented games, um, you know, definitely, you know, almost anything you wanted to run, you could <coughs> probably find an example on Twitch or YouTube of people, you know, yeah. running those and- games. Or podcasts. And, or, or podcasts, <laughs> abs- absolutely. Listen to our podcasts. <laughs> Listen to the podcasts. Uh, uh, and it's, there's also, by that same token, a lot of people working to hack the system. A lot of people who've played D&D and went, oh, you know, this, this doesn't work quite as well with romance. So I built, so I wanted to help my players or I wanted to play in that. So I made a system that works a little bit better within the 5th edition rules. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and this is a bit of an aside from that, but back into like how do you find the right games and communication? If your local gaming store is worth its salt, mm. there will be either someone working there or someone who is a regular there who you can talk to, hopefully, and ask like, "Hey, my players and I are looking for a romantic turn of the century court." Uh, no drama we, we're looking to play is there any um can i uh, let me look at my bookshelf um <laughs> can i can i do all right yeah like can i do pride and prejudice uh the the tabletop game and maybe yeah and yeah there, there might there might very well be a like hack that one of them has put together or that they know of yeah. online yeah. or that, or the game blue rose I there don't we go. know Blue Rose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't either, but now I do because there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you if you want yeah. to play romantic fantasy, you know, high 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 romantic fantasy, you know, courtly love that sort of thing, great game for it. And yeah, the the advantage of doing that at your local gaming shop is they have all this inventory and they want to sell it to you. <laughs> and if so you come in, if you come in saying I want this, they will yeah. find something that matches that yeah. because they want it they want it sold, hopefully. It's taking up space. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, not every gaming store is uh is great. Yeah. No. This is a game a local gaming store worth its salt. Absolutely. Not every gaming yes. store is worth its salt. Exactly. I I have one near me um and we might need to bleep this because it's a plug, but it's the Compliot Strategist, and they've been open since the Redbox eras. And so their their entire store is nothing but gaming tables and shelf space, and the shelves are caving in <laughs> because they just have so much weight from books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this usually at least one gaming store near you that should have somebody knowledgeable that can help you out. Uh, yeah. So I would, yeah, I, I would say that the answer to this question is communication. Play and testing. It's not forums are your friend. Google is your friend. Asking yeah. questions, uh, listening to other podcasts, all great ways to look into seeing some of the insights and strengths of other systems yeah definitely like if if you know the feel you're going for but can't find anything else about it and you don't have a good like gaming store around look for that on twitch look for it on youtube look for it on wherever you get podcasts and i'm willing to bet something comes up 
and you might love it. Yep. Yeah. This question is maybe a bit more tricky. Um, maybe not. It's regarding newer players as a new DM. Um, mm-hmm. Should I invest my time and energy into players and their characters who have never tried the game and may not be coming back? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Uh, if, the answer yeah, is yes. Uh, because that's how they, that's I, how they I, do I, come back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you don't, if you get players who are brand new and have never played and you're of the opinion, well, they might never come back. So I'm just not going to like make this super engaging for them. That's a way to guarantee that they never will come back. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I have introduced D&D or uh, tabletop, you know, RPG games in general to, you know, a, a fair number of players. Uh, I often do it by running a one shot. So rather than pulling them into mm-hmm. an existing campaign, um, because then, you know, you can, you can pre-select your other players that you're going to pair with them. If you've got a large group, um, which, you know, can be handy. Um, you can control the pace of how you're introducing them to the game and the rules. Uh, and I always recommend <laughs> don't, don't let the players who want to give them the rules encyclopedia before you start playing, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, the, the soapbox yeah. to do so. Uh, Although if you, if you can sit your new player next to your experienced players. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like elephants at a circus. Yeah. 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 Especially, yeah. especially if you know that your experienced player is, um, there are certain is personality types that go along with experienced person. Yeah. If they're a good teacher, yeah. Put your new player right there. Yeah, absolutely. If they're more on the side of they want that soapbox or they want to prove somebody wrong about the rules, put them far away from the new player. Exactly. Um, I also, I tend to highly recommend um, creating a character for them in collaboration. So like essentially a pre-gen, but ask them questions about, you know, who's your favorite character in you know, anything, right? Like movies, TV, doesn't have to be specifically fantasy. Um, you know, the kind of things they might like to play uh, and work with them on that to, you know, pre-generate a character. Um, I like to give, I really like in terms of how other games do it, I really like how Dungeon World has their playbooks, which, is just, which essentially give you everything you need as a player to play, right? That and a one mm-hmm. sheet of other moves. Uh, so I'll often try and craft that with D&D as well. I'll have like the full text of your key abilities and stuff kind of all laid out so they don't have to go to the rule book. Um, and it gives them yeah. something to, you know, read and peruse when it's not their turn, for instance, because uh, it, it's engaging. And I like to I like to really introduce people through play. I don't give, you know, a big preamble beforehand on how everything works other than, you know, pretty much... There's things on your page. We'll get to stuff as we need to. Um, really what's going to happen is I describe situations. You tell me what you want to do. If we feel that dice need to be rolled, what's up, Chris? you'll roll this 20-sided dice. We'll no, go through what numbers you need to add to it and see if it's a success or a fail. And, uh, and just then kind of explain through play. And um, one of the other things that I would say is Along the lines of what you were talking about, having a pre-made kind of character for somebody uh, that you built in tandem. If that's not necessarily possible, 
uh have a character made yes that fits with any existing group um because even if they come to the table with a made a pre-made character um it's nice to have the backup uh and being in a if they're coming into an experienced group or a group of other players into an adventure that's been going on for a while even if you sit down and make a character with them make another one yeah yeah i like to have a a, i oh sorry go ahead will uh, i when i was running the star wars rpg at drinks and dragons um knew that basically everyone who came in would not be experienced with the game Mm -hmm. that it was you know it's people were coming in to play D&D. It's called Drinks and Dragons, but I, a lot of people were running games that weren't D&D, um, which is a, a good thing. But what I did was I just essentially made a character sheet for everyone on board the Firefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the entire Firefly okay. cast got a character sheet, and then I just put them out. I labeled the roles that they would have on board the Firefly and said, okay... Pick one of your characters. This is your character now. There you go. Yeah. Um, and in in a similar vein to this, one of my friends is just starting uh, a campaign with his brothers, who are very much not the type of people to get into role-playing games or anything like that. Um, but if he had decided, well, they're probably not going to be coming back, so I'm not going to make this engaging they wouldn't be having as much fun with this ridiculous over-the-top campaign they've got going on right now where they're drinking towns dry and going on rampages in the most ridiculous fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but they're having a blast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so even if they don't come back, that effort will never be wasted. And just to... Because it feels like we're kind of winding down on this one but just to just to kind of put something to close if you just play with the same people you're just going to do the same things yeah yeah each time somebody new comes in they're bringing their background their experiences their knowledge their growth and that's going to be something you haven't experienced before that's going to take you on a loop and that's and anytime you have to improvise, anytime you have to put in a little unexpected work, you become a better DM and you become a better player. And Definitely. That's that's why I love that one of the biggest pushes that's sort of accompanied the expanse with Critical Role and with Fifth Edition has been making the scene a lot more inclusive. Uh, a lot more people are coming from are are coming from groups that would otherwise feel kind of out of unfortunately feel kind of out of place at some local gaming stores because yeah because white dudes have been a problem (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, Yeah. but i i love that more women are playing or and but the the secret is women have been playing for ages it's just now they get to add their voice to this community and it's extremely valuable Yeah, yeah to to add into this um i i tried to get my wife into um the game and mm. originally i brought her because i didn't have a a long time group at the moment i brought her into a gaming store and we tried to join a game and she hated it but after we moved and we started playing with some of my 
old friends that I'd played with for ages, uh, she loved it. She loved playing with these people. And that's what it came down to is she didn't feel comfortable with the people that we were playing with at the gaming store for whatever reason. Um, I don't want to get into it, but she didn't feel comfortable with them and that ruined the game for her. Yeah. So I, I'd kind of add that as a final addendum. If you are DMing um, for new players or for your old group, you have a responsibility to make sure that people are behaving, I guess would be the best word for it. But yeah, that yeah. anybody can feel welcome and that yeah. you're trying you're trying to be inclusive and representative and yeah. then you definitely. you get back into you know um working with new players on and communicating with them. Um ask them I'm I'm gonna be hosting an event affiliated with PAX Unplugged. Uh, coming up mm-hmm. in Philly, um, it's a DM school. It, it's going to be in the Thirsty Dice. It's going to be very fun. But uh, one of the things I, I want to make sure I that any anyone who leaves knows is okay. Talk with new players about their triggers. Talk with them about any of their like what's going to break the experience for them. Yeah, I. The- I- I definitely agree. I feel like uh, there's a there's a need for more inclusivity in this uh, in in this culture. But it is nice to see that it has uh, grown as much as it has. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I was I was gonna say, you know, I'm so glad you guys. Um, brought this up and you know I, I really liked will when you said about sort of the responsibility you have as a dm for that at the table and you know it's important to make that a shared responsibility among your your table mm-hmm. um but it you know it is kind of one of those things as a dm where it is more heavily put on your shoulders and you know it can be tough you're you may end up having to have like very uncomfortable conversations with people you've known and maybe been friends with for a very long time uh around you know their their mm-hmm. gameplay and maybe some of the the word choices they use and behavior and and all kinds of things mm-hmm. but it's really valuable um what you gain as a dm or gm from having more diverse voices at your table swamps that out a hundredfold like everyone's yeah. individual experiences and backgrounds and points of view create a you know it's like it's like making a good stew right you need all, <laughs> you need all of those ingredients it just makes the end product so much richer and and so to come back to the question um yes you should absolutely invest time in every player because even if they never come back the time that you invest and the energy you invest and everything you learn from a, like adapting your story and making that player welcome and making it engaging for that player makes you a better dungeon master for everybody else. Absolutely. And for yourself. Yeah, 100%. All right. So for this last question that I've got uh, collected... Um, should I build a world all my own for my first time? 
No. I have so many ideas, <laughs> but I don't know if my world will be as engaging as a pre-built one. Okay. Speaking as someone who has built a world, um, I, I if you want, I can give you the, the link to the Google Drive document. Um, <laughs> you will spend so much time building your world that you will not spend any time playing in it. If if it's your first if you're doing this for your first session before your even before your first session, you will never play in that world because it's never going to be done and you're never going to know what kind of things you want to include in it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> um I I have a world that I am building for a campaign and I have been building this world for like the past year. Mm -hmm. it's ongoing and i have i have an end in sight but yeah if you try to build a first a world all your own for your first time um you will want to play dungeons and dragons and then finally get started five years later <laughs> so uh yeah i i largely agree and as someone who is a, a serial world builder and you know that's that's part of the lonely fun that I enjoy, right? As a creative outlet is coming up with worlds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have a natural inclination to be a sort of completist, right? I want something logical with like a whole structure around it um, often before I play. Um, but knowing that many people will be really, really drawn to creating their own world, even starting out, you can do it. Uh, and I would, yeah. I would echo the sort of, you know, advice that I've heard from innumerable other, you know, wise sages on the internet, uh, is to start small. Um, you know, it, it's great to have a lot of logical, um, structure around it. Like what, what, you know, fantasy species exist, you know, the nature of magic, gods, like that sort of thing is great, but you don't actually need it all. Um, you're going to, your chances are you're going to start in a town, right? So you kind of really only need the town, its environs and the kinds of things that your players need. So if you've got a cleric in the party, you know, you only necessarily need the God that they worship. Right. Um, and so you can mm -hmm. start small and build out from there. Um, it, it still can be tough, right? Cause you're, you're going to want to build lots more. Um, but if you take your cues from what the players are interested in, uh, it will help cut down on the amount of time you spend creating things that you don't end up ever using in play. Um, the only downside mm -hmm. is, is, you know, you can, you could end up with a mismatch of stuff that tonally doesn't, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the tonally yeah. doesn't, doesn't work for you. I've definitely encountered that as well. Um, At, yeah. The yeah. One advantage is as a DM, you can retcon. Absolutely. You can say, hey, guys, this didn't work. Um, I, the progress is still the same, but I'm changing some of the consequences of it. Like, yeah, we're going to approach it from this perspective now. Yeah. Or this place is yeah. going to have this name now because, you know, I didn't I didn't like that name or, you know, this God's yeah. going to be. Or I didn't. Or I didn't write down the name and I forgot it. <laughs> yeah, that uh, <laughs> which has has happened to me a lot. And it's <laughs> happened to me all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, by the same token, and this is not, a, again, not a first session thing, but it can be valuable to work on building a world or building up from a world that's already built. Like you could take the 
critical role or adventure zone approach where they just started with the forgotten realms and then went their own crazy direction um yeah yep. you could do the um uh order of the stick approach where they just take a, a mashup of semi-satirical fantasy and tabletop tropes and make a world from that um you could take uh, a, a low fantasy approach and just have it be our world but um and all like but yeah. all the gods are real and you worship odin and you get power from that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. Um, um and and, and that one of the one of the fun things that i've seen is essentially creating just a town and having the players whether they're aware of it or not aid you in just creating a world by their actions yep absolutely yeah like you go to the east what's east of here yeah they they wanted to go east all right now you need to make up something that's east of there yeah but then it's you know as your map starts expanding outwards and then you get you could get a weird sort of hodgepodge like one thing i regret not knowing more about as i'm going into world building is oh should plate tectonics be something I know? Because um, when I when I made a map, I just loaded up Civ uh, Five and did a screenshot. Because yeah, yeah, and but how do these plates work? And I lost all the details in the original shot, so I just kind of made up rivers. But should I start over, or is it too late to do that now? Should I make new maps with the same sort of ethos and world setup or is it too late uh it, how do deltas work what there, i've got so <laughs> many deltas what yeah so one of the great things with sorry, Dan, playing in fantasy worlds is you do always have the cop out of because magic yeah a wizard <laughs> yeah. did it a wizard did it a wizard made that yeah. mountain yeah and i i my campaign setting is is very heavily inspired by skies of arcadia um, and it has like, oh, there was a massive catastrophe uh, three millennia ago, and it just did the world a new one. Um, so a lot of a lot of things can be explained that way, but that's I know it three millennia make, of rivers I know it moving. Make sense. And, it just yeah. happened. Yeah, I, I just thought deltas look cool. All right, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the other thing is uh, in in that sense. Um, Generally, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons worlds have gods that exist. And so maybe there's a god of rivers who just really liked deltas. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you do the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing where you just yeah. meet this uh, this office worker who's like, look, I, I really needed, I, I didn't have a lot of sleep. I didn't have a lot of coffee. I really wanted to like put in something impressive and I know deltas. <laughs> so so I, 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 just, <laughs> I just made a lot of deltas. I, yeah. I think I may have copy pasted it a couple times. Just don't worry about it. It's yeah. it, It's water. It's still wet. Just, all right. It's a river. It works. <laughs> it goes down. All right. What, what are you complaining about? You can drink it. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um. So my my caveat would be for your very first time, it might be beneficial mm -hmm. to start out with anything pre-built yeah and you can always go in a couple sessions later and like hey guys this has been fun but i want to try my world yeah and 
they can even keep their characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you hey, your characters were mysteriously warped. Or, no, it's the same guys, just with different backstories. Yeah. 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 It's You're playing the exact same guys. They're just from here now. Yeah. And, yeah. and chances are, um, you know, especially if your whole group is pretty new, your players might want to retcon parts of their backstory once you get you know a couple of sessions in i mean i always tell my players you know, who often write extensive pages of backstory uh that nothing is canon <laughs> until it comes up in play right um mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. all it's all material for us to build on and potentially use um but uh I, i've also you know have players retcon pretty extensively their backgrounds and stuff as we get going you know you, you start playing and you're playing a uh, uh, rogue and you know you're at like level three or four and not really feeling it right and they're like oh, i kind of really just want to play a sorcerer yeah cool you know uh, you know sort of like adventurers league rules yeah we can do that yeah that, that's not a problem right you want your players to be happy <laughs> yeah you know it, and you can get some people that are very hardcore about the rules of Okay, you want a new character, you have to start at level one, but... Yeah, but... Even then... Fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about new players, not like the guys who've been playing for, yeah. for ten years. Yeah. So, this this is a new player, guys. Let's just let him have his level three sorcerer. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason not to. Yeah. Even my more experienced players in, in my games, we do a lot. Uh, create a lot of different characters there's a lot going on because it's a west marches style so there's multiple adventures and you know people get part way in and and they're just not really feeling you know the class or background uh, and as long as it's not someone trying to pull one over you know like someone who's not trying to just yeah. gain advantage um you know which in my games like mechanically like that's not how it works anyway so you're not going to gain anything as long as it's someone who's not just trying to like jump around to you know game the system essentially or or whatever. I'd rather them be yeah. happy with their character so that they can play it further than to make them start over. Definitely, and I think that uh, when it comes to things like that, just having some empathy for your players goes a long oh, way. Oh yeah, big time. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Your players want to win, sure. They want to succeed, but doesn't everybody. But mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just, they're just not, they just want to have fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. When the working day is done, they. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to have fun. <laughs> All right. No, that was necessary. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to break out in song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, that is it for the prepared questions. Do you guys have anything else that you'd like to bring up for our listeners about how to run or how to get started running their very first session? Uh, Just start a session. If you're playing with people who also don't know what they're doing, then they're not going to call you out on your mistakes. Yeah, and be okay just, with making mistakes. Oh, yeah. The, the best oh. way to get started playing D&D is to start playing D&D. Yep. Yeah. Yep. However you feel like you can, yeah. do it. 
yeah, my my advice is very much the Nike slogan. You know, just just do it. Uh, just relax. Don't stress out. You know, um, if you if you cultivate very, from very early on the expectation that you're going to make mistakes, other people are going to make mistakes. Like we're not going to get the rules right all the time. We might flub stuff. That's okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I I've been you know doing fifth edition for a while. I did games before then. I make mistakes on the rules all the time all the time same i i mess up i misremember or just plain old don't know rules all the time it's a massive rule book yeah it's hard to memorize everything yeah and it's not a big deal and 90 percent of the time it's not even worth necessarily looking up at the table you know it's go with something that seems reasonable in the moment and we can check it later um or and yeah and oftentimes i've done exactly that where i didn't know the rules uh we just picked something that made sense everybody agreed on it that's what we went with and then later looked it up found out the rules and we're like well that's stupid let's keep going with how we did it yeah absolutely yeah yeah house rules are a thing for a reason Mm mm-hmm you know, you, you sometimes want to be careful that you don't overburden your game with them because then that gets hard to bring new oh, people yeah. in. Um, but uh, no, I mean, every, everyone has their own house rules. <laughs> yeah, usually around things like... Th- th- things that don't come up very often, too. Usually around things like grappling. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, I I, I agree with, with Dan nike slogan <laughs> just do it if you want to get started just do it yeah uh all of these questions are valid things to to keep in mind but ultimately mm-hmm. you can't let anything stop you if you're interested oh yeah absolutely there's no right way to play there's no right way to learn just get started yeah yeah and it's a hobby that's always in demand for more uh dms and gms there are there are mm-hmm. more players than there are people that are willing to run games. Um, Definitely, and so you know, don't don't feel held back by thinking that you know that you can't do it. Right, uh, you absolutely can. I think absolutely anybody can. You know, it's not it's not a esoteric art. Um, and for some of us, you know, you'll find you might find that it's actually a far more enjoyable part of the hobby. I I prefer it to playing. I'm not a great player. <laughs> yeah, I I prefer running to playing. Um and part of it is that there's that aspect in my head of, well, I would have done this that I have to suppress when I'm playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's very hard to be to not be a backseat DM if you're really accustomed to DMing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we always need more DMs, so just do it. Absolutely. All right. right. Well, this has been great, guys. Uh, Thank you you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. This has been Running the Table with my guests today, Dan Gaston and Will Calligan. Uh, Please follow the links in the description of this podcast to check out everything we've talked about that they're working on. It's great. Uh, And I'd also like to thank you for listening. 
And if you find yourself with questions you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com by email. You can also reach me at Running the Table on both Twitter and Facebook. <laughs>